Welcome to the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Well, good morning. It's good to see you, good to be with you. Some of you are looking a bit extra rested. You capitalized on your extra hour. And if you are here as someone who uh, maybe stayed up a little late, thinking you would have that extra hour, but then woke up at your normal time, an hour early, I, I feel your pain. <laughs> that was me. Let's go to God and get, him, and get him in prayer. God, we thank you that you are here with us, that you are the giver of each day, each moment of life. And we thank you that uh, you've given us breath and life today. Help us to present ourselves fully to you, to the work of your spirit and your word, as we attend to what you have to speak to us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I imagine you are familiar with the phrase mountaintop experience. I imagine, and I hope at some point you've had what you'd call a mountaintop experience. Maybe recently even, you had a time to to get away, to get away and to find yourself up above the noise, the confusion, the distraction of everyday life. And to get away to a place where things seemed clearer, less inhibited, find yourself able to see further and more clearly than you can in everyday life. Maybe you were on vacation, maybe you were on a retreat specifically seeking to hear from God. Maybe you just had a few hours to break away from the daily grind of a normal week. Last week, Pastor Chris pointed out for us that chapters five through seven in the Gospel of Matthew represent a mountaintop experience. It was a time when Jesus invited anyone who wanted to come and listen to follow him up onto a mountain where they could come away from the noise and distraction of daily life and listen to this rabbi. And Jesus had a huge crowd gathered around him that day. And they found themselves pulled up from the distractions of life in the valley to listen to the teacher as he taught about a new way of life, new way of living. And next week, we'll focus a bit on what he taught that day. But for now, I just want us to be aware that Matthew 5 through 7 represent uh, three chapters that if you happen to have a Bible where the verses, the, the words of Jesus appear in red, other than Two verses at the beginning of Matthew 5 that set the stage, and two verses at the end of Matthew 7 that conclude the scene. We've got three chapters of nothing but red ink. So at least as Matthew presents this famous sermon to us, the Sermon on the Mount, we see that Jesus was able to teach in an undistracted, focused way. Nobody was messing with Jesus. Nobody was calling on him, needing him, wanting him, pulling him away from what he wanted to focus on. He had ascended to a spot up above the din of everyday life to teach unhindered about life back down in the valley. And Matthew chapter 7 concludes this way. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority not as their teachers of the law. And so then as Jesus heads back down the mountain, real life we see pressed in immediately on Jesus and his disciples. Suddenly, Matthew tells us, a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. 
And if you don't know what happened next, I invite you to go back and listen to uh, Pastor Chris's sermon from last week as we see the story unfolding of Jesus' encounter with this man in deep personal pain and need as a leper in that community. These past several weeks, we've been exploring together the kinds of interactions we see in the Gospels between Jesus and the stuff of everyday life. We see that Jesus, as he walked a world that in many ways was different than ours, walked in a culture, in a time when things were just awash with politics and competing religions and people in pain. And we see, we recognize in those scenes things that are very familiar to our days and lives. And as we've watched our Lord and teacher navigate his world, we've seen that we have a lot to learn about ours and specifically how we are invited to walk and live in our lives and culture and time and context. If we look at Matthew chapter eight, we see that Jesus encounters after coming down from the mountaintop, Jesus encounters with pain and brokenness come fast and frequently. After meeting with the man with leprosy, Jesus encounters a Roman officer with a paralyzed servant back home. We see a sick mother-in-law of one of Jesus' disciples. We encounter a fear-struck group out in a raging sea on the Sea of Galilee and two men possessed by demons. And then in Matthew chapter nine, we see that Jesus heals a paralyzed man and then a blind man. Life off the mountaintop in Jesus' time and in ours is one in which pain and brokenness comes far too frequently. And it's here in Matthew chapter nine that Jesus brushes up against what is most likely the deepest pain of the human experience, and that is the pain of death. Beginning at verse 18 in Matthew 9, we read, that while he was teaching, a synagogue leader came up and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died. But come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. And so here in this little scene, we hear an echo of what the leper had said to Jesus. The leper had said, Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean, you can make me whole and well. And here we see the faith, this profound faith of a synagogue leader who seems 100% convinced that even though his daughter has just died, if Jesus will simply place his hand on her body, that she will come to life. Amazingly, this man struck by the pain of death and I'm sure mired in grief was able to move forward with steps of faith toward Jesus. And this theme of interaction, the interaction between human Pain and human faith is one we see recur again and again in Matthew 8 and 9. We see it right here as we continue in the next several verses. We're told that Jesus, that, that just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. Now, this woman in this scene could, in a way, be seen as an interruption within an interruption. Because her encounter with Jesus happens in the context of 
of the synagogue ruler coming to Jesus. And he himself had been an interruption, breaking in on Jesus' teaching to say, I need your help. My daughter has just died. And so clearly we are off the mountaintop as Jesus encounters the busyness and pain of human life and interruption layering upon interruption. But Jesus doesn't seem to mind. In fact, if we read through Matthew 8 and 9, we see that every time Jesus encounters people, he makes it obvious that that he knows full well that his mission on earth will never allow him to stay on the mountaintop. He knows that's not where he's called to linger forever. Jesus knows that his mission will see him neck deep in the valley of real life. Take heart, daughter, he says. And we can hear the the kindness and love, I think, in that simple response. And how different that would sound, I'm sure, to her than, oh, jeez, another interruption. Come on, people, what are you thinking? All right, all right, what what, what do you want from me? What's going on? No, he simply says, take heart, daughter. And then graciously, we see that as Jesus heals this woman, he actually gives her faith the credit. He says, your faith has healed you. And then Jesus continues on to the home of the synagogue ruler who has this recently deceased daughter. And when Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, go away, the girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand And she got up. News of this spread through all that region. Now Jesus walked into the scene that day, walked into this synagogue ruler's home in the midst of something that was unfolding that would have been very familiar to him, but would probably feel pretty foreign to us. There's this sense of of noise. There's a sense of loudness. We think about how we tend to... uh, mark and celebrate the passing of a loved one and think about how we encounter our grief. And often, especially at a funeral, things tend to be subdued, a bit quiet, but that wasn't the case in the time of Jesus. For Jews in the first century, even poor families who experienced the death of a loved one in their family were supposed to hire, pay at least two flute players to come and to hire at least one professional whaler, a professional whaler. Mourning was a loud, communal, orchestrated, public affair in those days. And we can imagine that the death of this prominent synagogue ruler would have been extra loud, extra big. We're sure he wouldn't have hired just the bare minimum, but there was a big crowd gathered there. In fact, it was so big and raucous that we're told that Jesus put them outside sent them away. But they didn't leave before they had a chance to laugh at Jesus, to laugh at his claim that this girl was simply sleeping. And the fact that they could laugh, I think, reveals that, that not everyone there that day was, was grief-stricken, right? They're laughing aloud. So I'm sure some of them were there simply out of a sense of duty to pay their respects, Some of them we know were hired as professionals. Not everybody there was heartbroken. And so they laughed at Jesus. 
at this claim that somehow the girl was simply sleeping. They didn't know if he thought, if, if he was claiming to be about to bring her back from the dead. If so, they found that laughable. But they knew a dead person when they saw one. And so what he was saying seemed ridiculous to them. How could Jesus say that she was only asleep? Now, I don't think Jesus was lying. I don't think Jesus here was trying to trick everyone into thinking the girl was just asleep, so much as he was actually, in that moment, teaching about the true nature of death. Teaching that death actually is someone falling asleep. And that idea of death as a form of sleep was actually well established within Judaism. In fact, if you look at the New Testament and read through the Gospels and the letters, you'll see sleeping or falling asleep used as a metaphor or a euphemism for dying quite often. It was actually only the Sadducees, members of a particular sect of Judaism, who thought that death was the end. They taught that after death there was simply nothingness. Jesus seemed to be saying that everyone who slips into the sleep of death will awake into something else someday. And he seemed to be saying that that day, this little girl in particular, would be waking from the sleep of death back into the land of the living. And so after the crowd had been put outside, he went back into the room where the girl lay, took her by the hand, and we're told, raised her to life and to her feet. And I can only imagine Matthew feeling like Captain Obvious as he went on to write the words, and news of this spread through the region. It's like, yeah, you think? I think word would get out. I think word would get out about what had happened. Now, the people knew this kind of thing had happened before. They knew their stories. They knew about the, the time of Elijah and Elisha, these prophets who each had resurrected someone, brought someone back from the dead. But even then, those were, those were old stories from centuries past. And this was something that happened in their very midst. In their midst. The crowd had been put outside, but Mark in his gospel actually names five people who were there as witnesses of what had happened. So it's not surprising that word gets out fast and spreads wide. It was a big deal. It was a big deal. And what's interesting to me, fascinating to me in this encounter between Jesus and death that day is that actually Jesus doesn't say that it's not a big deal. I can imagine Jesus saying, well, everything's gonna be okay. Don't worry, this isn't a big deal. I can imagine Jesus downplaying the death of this little girl because he recognizes that in him is new life and that he has the power to overcome death, but he doesn't. In fact, every time we see in the Gospels Jesus brushing up against the brokenness of humanity, brokenness of people that leads to death, every time Jesus brushes up against pain resulting from death, it seems to really matter to him. When Jesus encountered death, he pauses. Death matters to him because it, he knows it matters to us. That day in the scene at the synagogue ruler's home, 
the people who were gathered there or who heard the eyewitness reports soon after, and for those of us who get to look in and listen in on this scene today, we get a glimpse of what happens when Jesus encounters death. And we see what happens when death encounters Jesus. Last week, Pastor Chris said that back in Jesus' day, at a time when people would not touch a leper because they were afraid that they would get leprosy, we see that when Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man who was suffering from leprosy, he didn't get leprosy. Leprosy got Jesus. I love the way that was put last week. And here we see today that as Jesus encounters death, his touch of the dead girl's body does not defile Jesus. But instead we see that death gets jesus When death comes into the presence of Christ, it is transformed. It's overcome. The religion of the Jews had instructed them to attribute to a corpse the power to defile. And Jesus stands among the people that day as the fulfillment of the religion they had been taught, as the embodiment of God himself, and says, you don't need to fear death. Death has been overcome. It's still a big deal. It still causes incredible pain. It's still the outcome of brokenness, but death has been overcome. Jesus came as the ultimate solution to humanity's death dilemma. When Jesus told Martha that her dead brother Lazarus would live, Martha said to him, I know, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. I am the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Life becomes truly alive by believing in Jesus. That's his message to us and to Martha. Life continues through death and on to eternity through faith in Jesus. Life continues forever for the one who lives by believing in him. Jesus is the resurrection, he says, the true life. And next week, we'll dive more deeply into the kind of life that Jesus taught us to live and enables us to live. But for now, especially on this day, when we remember those saints who have passed through death before us into their eternal reward, as we acknowledge our pain as those who are left behind without them, let us look to Jesus as the one who sees us in our pain, who sees our pain and feels with us, who encounters the death that we have encountered and pauses because it matters to him as well. And as we look to Jesus, let us see a caring teacher, a loving one who cares deeply about us, who sympathizes with us, not only in our own frailty and mortality because someday we will die, but who sympathizes with us because he recognizes our pain as those suffering loss, as those bereft of loved ones we'd love to still have with us. Let us look to our rabbi and Lord 
who grieved with those who grieved when he walked this earth, and who himself suffered deep anguish as he approached the hour of his own death. And let us hear his words. Take heart, daughter. Take heart, son. Death is not the end. Would you join me in prayer? Loving, living Jesus, we thank you for taking away the permanent sting of death by opening the door to eternal life. And we thank you for standing beside us who are here on this side of eternity as we still experience the sting caused by the deaths of those we love. Gracious Father, we thank you for giving us the victory over death through our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for mercy and love through him. And we ask that you'd fill us anew with your Holy Spirit, that we might live as those with the hope that you alone can give. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.